Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. For this episode, I'm joined once again by the professor, Ray Permi. Ray, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much. How are you doing today? Doing well, thanks. Great. So on this episode, we're going to be reviewing Keith Richards' 1988 debut solo album, Talk is Cheap. Now, Ray, we've covered the Rolling Stones on multiple episodes of the podcast, so we've talked about Keith quite a bit, but what were your thoughts at the time of this record's release, and how'd you end up owning it? Uh, well... Actually, I never owned this one until you contacted me about it. No kidding. No, this one was completely fresh to me. Wow. Uh, that astonishes me. <laughs> I will tell you why, but, you know, it's just uh, I was kind of soured by a lot of things in 1988. Yeah. So, I mean, it seemed like every band I loved was breaking up or, or fractioning off. So it just was one of those one of those things. And I kind of. I remember the first Mick Jagger album, which was trash, and uh, that really turned me off. <laughs> so, and '88 had a lot of really strange releases. Yeah. So it was I mean, a weird year. Yeah, I mean, David Lee Roth came out with his second one, which tanked. Van Halen released their second one with Sammy, which was kind of like, man, pretty much forgettable. Def Leppard was everywhere. I remember that. They were pouring sugar on everything. Ugh, um, I guess they were. Kiss had gone completely power ballad crazy. Robert Plant released a solo album with a bunch of Zeppelin samples on it, but it was still kind of a disappointing release. Um, George Michael was everywhere. Yeah. That was another one. And incidentally, I was married at the time to my first wife. And after tech school in the Air Force, we went to go see him. How was that show? Believe it or not, he put on a great show. Yeah, I believe it. It was really, it was really a good show. Um, I remember MTV was slowly shifting away from music. They were going to the MTV raps, and Remote Control was everywhere, and Guns N' Roses really blew up with Sweet Child of Mine. Jimmy Page released that Outrider CD, which is so, oh my God, I, I think I can get, I can only do the instrumentals on that. And then the rest of it, I can't stand that guy's voice. <laughs> Even the song with Plant is kind of meh. And it, oh, yeah, it was just a, just a bad year for music. I had reached my, my limit there. So Yeah. So this just didn't even blip on your radar. No, this, I don't remember exactly when this came out, but it didn't. I mean, I heard, I think I heard You Don't Move Me anymore and uh, Take It So Hard. And that was it. And. At the time, neither of them were any kind of memory to me at all. I was like, eh, well, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I remember how strange it was around that time, too. You know, Mick and Keith were on the outs, and that was big news. I mean, no one was sure what the status of the Stones were. You know, are they broken up on hiatus? What? What's going on? You know? Yeah. And by this time, Mick had already put out two solo albums, right? The second one had already come out, too. Oh, that stupid video, that working where he was jogging. Now, <laughs> now, I thought they were okay. But it seemed like he was more interested in his solo career at the time, which he was. 
And then I saw a TV commercial for this album, you know, like one of those quick uh, 30 second spots just to let you know that it was out there. Yeah. You know, it had, it had tickets so hard playing in the background. And I was like, holy shit, Keith made a solo album. I was kind of surprised. So just the thought of it intrigued me enough that I went right out and got the cassette without hearing a full track from it. And that's how I came by this album. But yeah, it was a weird time for sure. Yeah, I just like, you know, solo albums from bands that I liked. I think there's only three that I really, really dig all the way through that I went down. That's a solid album. And one would be Fagan's Nightfly. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of the, the, the two Tom Petty ones, uh, Full Moon Fever and Wildflowers. And yeah. then I never really heard the, the last one. But the rest of them, I was kind of like, I was just kind of turned off. Yeah. So. <laughs> but All right. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record. And keep in mind, these facts do come from Wikipedia. Talk is Cheap is the debut solo studio album from Keith Richards, released on October 3rd, 1988 on Virgin Records. It was produced by Keith Richards and Steve Jordan and was recorded from August 1987 to May 1988, primarily at Le Studio, Morin Heights, Quebec, Canada, with additional recording done at Montserrat and Bermuda. It reached number 37 on the UK Albums Chart and number 24 on the US Billboard 200 Chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We've got Keith Richards on lead vocals and guitar, Steve Jordan on drums, percussion, and bass on one track, Sarah Dash in backing vocals and a duet, Charlie Drayton on bass and drums on one track, Ivan Neville on piano and keyboards, Bobby Keys on tenor saxophone, Wadi Wachtel on acoustic, electric, and slide guitar. And those are the main players dubbed the expensive winos, but there are many additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. Additionally, all tracks were written by Keith Richards and Steve Jordan. Now it's time to dig into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We open things up with Big Enough. Professor, what do you say? Keith brings the funk. Who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that this kind of stuff, when the Stones would do it, was all because of Mick. But uh, it, it just, I didn't know that he was going to do this. <laughs> this was a real curveball to me. Mm-hmm. Um, although I can't help but hear elements of, of some of the Stones' other funk songs. Hot Stuff, Dance, Parts 1 and 2. And I hear a little bit of foreshadowing of the song Terrifying, which wouldn't be released until 1989's Steel Wheels. I do love the funk, but let me just state right now, this album annoys the crap out of me for one reason. I cannot stand the snare sound on this entire release. It's too sharp and it's too bright and it sounds enhanced, which is really distracting to me. Um, it makes me really miss the human metronome known as Mr. Wang Dang Doodle, Mr. Charlie Watts. I have no idea what this song is about. <laughs> like maybe, maybe you're just big enough to live on your own. I don't know. Was Keith declaring himself to be that he's big enough to fund his own band? Right. And um, 
when I listened to this album the first time, I did not look at the lyrics at all. And I had always thought that Mick had the worst mush mouth. But no, Keith kills him on this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was, thank God for some lyric sites because I thought there was no way I was going to ever find out what was going on. I do like the fact that he's got some pretty heavy hitters in his, in his band, Bootsy Collins. He, his bass throughout this song is incredible. Yeah. And Maceo Park sax is great. The backup singers. I don't know if that is uh, Patty Scalfa. I think she's in there. Yeah. Yeah. She sounds really bored and disinterested. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, would you guys wake up back there? Keith's got some nice riffs in there. The beat shift at the sax solo and the, the triplet to reset the beat is really awkward and clumsy as hell, which kind of surprises me. I don't know if they just threw it in to make something different, but it, it doesn't, it really doesn't work. Um, and I'm not really a fan of the sloppy shuffle beat that is kind of really out of place that they, they bring in during that sex solo and uh, abrupt end is just odd. I, I did, does this song have a bridge? Not really, no. Nope. Yeah, I, I I mean I know I know Steve Jordan is is a he's been around for a while. Oh, yeah. He's a pretty big name. He is. But I'm wondering if he got a little intimidated by working with Keith. Hmm. Cause somebody really needed to tell him no on a couple <laughs> of things. Like, let's let's know. We got a great idea here. We have a great nucleus of a song, but it just doesn't seem fleshed out. That that's that's what I think about this one. All right. I got to say, I didn't expect this to start off the record either. You know, that funk tune, Bootsy Collins from the James Brown Band and Parliament Funkadelic on the Funky Space Bass and P-Funk keyboardist Bernie Worrell on it as well. There's even some funky alto sax played by Maceo Parker. So the James Brown P-Funk connection solidified. The sax and the bass are highlights for me on this. The guitars are there. They just kind of take a back seat to these other musicians. And Steve Jordan, to me, just kind of holds everything together on drums. He's unflashy on this record for the most part, but he's just rock solid. I do understand what you mean by, about that, by that snare sound, but it didn't bother me like it did you. And all of these elements sort of do their own thing, and separately they would probably sound odd or weird apart from each other if you just pulled them out of the track. But when you mix them all together, it just kind of works. For me, it does anyway. It's like atmospheric music. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of, it does. I get what you mean. It kind of sets a groove, but it's... It's not something that I would like actively want to listen to. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It'd no, be I get a great it. background thing. Yeah. So No, I took to it right away though. And Keith's voice is right up front. And I gotta tell you, I've always loved that raspy warble of his. He sings like he plays guitar. It's rhythmically unconventional, but it's just packed with so much feeling. Uh, lyrically it's a little obscure for me too. I didn't really get it, but I, I got the sense Keith is playing up his outlaw persona, suck it up and keep moving. You gotta be ready, willing and able to do what you gotta do. I agree with what you said. Maybe he's big enough to front his own band. I dig the background vocals. As you said they sound kind of bored, but I just kinda liked it. It it, it gives it what's the word I'm looking for? Like <laughs> you know, just it's the way yeah. Keith Keith is singing it too, so they're all just like ready. <laughs> I just like that. I, I, it, it, it actually worked for me. I do. I love this song, actually. And Keith isn't just going to give you what you expect, which I thought was cool. The next track is Take It So Hard.
Ray, what do you say? It's weird not saying okay. Ray P. <laughs> <laughs> right? So this one kind of starts up on the heels of that snare strike of Big Enough. And I don't know if I've just been listening to too much Black Crows, but it sounds so similar to Jealous Again, which mm-hmm. I know wasn't released yet. But it just has that same sort of jangle to it. The riff is classic Keith. And it sounds like a Stone song that could easily be on Steel Wheels. He's a, maybe a slower version, but in the same vein as Can't Be Seen With You. And that first solo, it's all Keith, and it shows how his playing changed at this time, which I never really understood, but uh, I didn't see any jump from Dirty Work until what he was doing on the, the Urban Jungle Tour and the Steel Wheels Tour. But it's it's still dirty and raspy like him, but it has a, some cleaner techniques. The pick sweep and some of the later pitch harmonics that he would use during the, the tours with the Stones – that are all over the Livewire release, including the new studio track, Highwire, they're in this album. And you can see where he's kind of getting it. I don't know if that's just him feeding off of another another musician or, you know, with Wadi Watel was trying to tell him something mm. or what he picked up. The uh, intro solo is a nice is a nice one played by Wadi, I assume. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's not a bad song. It just, once again, it doesn't... When it, it, it it's over and it doesn't really go anywhere, and it's it's happily short too. I was kind of surprised by it. Well, this is what I thought we were going to get, and holy fuck nugget, do I love this song? Keith brings the riff, and Wadi Wachtel takes his hand at second guitar, and the interplay between them is pretty sweet and stonesy to me. Ivan Neville, son of Aaron Neville, plays the piano and keys and gets into the weave with the guitars. It all kind of makes an irresistible rock stew. Steve Jordan and Charlie Drayton switch their primary instruments. Steve's on bass and Charlie's on drums. And the rhythm section still swings in the sweet spot. Keith sings apparently to a woman who's been through a romantic breakup to not take it so hard. Keith's reliable. Come and get a bit from him. Keith's voice is confident, ragged, and full of swagger. Again, the backing vocals by Keith and Steve this time just nail it. Yank it up, baby! (laughs) This was the first single from the album that reached number three on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. The following track is Struggle. What do you say? Okay, another signature Keith riff. Yes. Including that new pick sweep he seems to really like so much. Again, a song that is easy to imagine on steel wheels. The slashing guitars and that steady, steady beat. This one I really like. It seems more pure Keith, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, I, I, it doesn't sound like it, but I, every time I listened to this, I kept thinking, kind of, there's some reggae elements in there, but I couldn't pick them out if, I, if you paid me. Right. I do like this one better than Take It So Hard, and you've got to love how they put that spoken word in at the end. It only <laughs> tightens up with Keith at the end. That's kind of that just makes me laugh every time. Yeah. that's just so him. Yep. So it doesn't another song that it seems like we we came in in the middle, <laughs> and then we left before it ended. So and that's it's just it's just something that's just odd to me. It's it's just jarring. But what do you say? 
Well, that Keith Richards guitar, such a distinctive tone with its slight distortion. The riff follows a rhythmic pattern only Keith fully understands, but you can tell he feels it in his bones. To me, this one's very Stones-like, with more guitar interplay with Waddy, Charlie Drayton's bass slyly funky and in the pocket, and little keyboard burbles and flourishes that pop up and add color. They don't overwhelm you, but you'd know it if they weren't there. There's also some acoustic guitar that sporadically appears, like makes a quick statement and fades out. Lyrically, the song confirms life can be a struggle on all levels, in personal relationships and professional duties. Keith says he gets it and reassures the person in question that they're not the only one going through it. They gotta face it. There's those whispered backing vocals you referred to, Ray, that come in the breakdown and at the end of the track, and I can't hear exactly what's being said, but I do know that if you struggle, it only tightens up. <laughs> I dig it, man, and it was the third single from the album that reached number 47 on the mainstream rock tracks chart. The next track is I Could Have Stood You Up. your thoughts okay a chuck berry style doo-wop number and i can picture keith playing that black hollow body gibson on this one yeah i saw them play in a uh, fort worth during the bridges to babylon tour and he ripped that out and he just tore through a solo on that and that's that's exactly what i thought of when i heard this song but uh this song with lyrics like well-hung friend of mine, he's size eight, I'm size nine, <laughs> shucks my dear, I'm going to get a lick from you. I mean, I wonder what this song is about. <laughs> I, I can't say I could hear this this one playing at Arnold's in Happy Days, <laughs> no. but if it did, I would have loved it. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he rips these solos up. That's just classic Keith. He's just paying homage to Chuck. Yep. Um, not a biggest fan of the spoken word part interjected over the sung part that's kind of distracting and unnecessary i didn't know what was going on i thought i was listening to this in my truck and i thought what was that did i just did i hit run over something or did i did am i losing air in my tire or something <laughs> it's just that low part of we're over and you're like ah but this is a good bouncy number this is another one that's just pure keith i love this song yeah Keith reaches back to the 50s and pulls out this gem. It's a slice of the early rock and roll he grew up with and loved. Legendary Chuck Berry pianist Johnny Johnson tickles the ivories, while longtime Stones keyboardist Chuck Lavelle adds organ, and Keith Cohort and co-conspirator Bobby Keys is on tenor sax. Joey Spampinato from NRBQ plays bass guitar and makes it sound like an upright bass, which was something he was known for. And then Steve Jordan's drums just have that perfect, easy swing this music requires. And lo and behold, former Stone Mick Taylor shows up to lay down guitar licks with Keith. Their cool doo-wop style backing vocals and the guitar solos as tasty as a 50 soda shop milkshake. Keith brags about being a lady killer and the coolest cat in town, but he's got class. He didn't stand the girl up, even though his dick's a size nine. That's worth a lick, isn't it? I mean, Keith did say in his autobiography he's quite a bit bigger than Mick. I believe him. This is a fun track that shows off a bit of Keith's musical roots. And I always heard that as sucks my dick. 
And I think that's well, at least a lot of the a lot of it's the internet. But a lot of the internet sites, that's what they have down for the lyric. Oh, probably. <laughs> it's probably hey, you what know, it they, is. <laughs> yeah, you know, they probably threw it in there for the publisher. They probably threw in some some different lyrics. It's just like what they did with um, the cars on on Bye Bye Love. Yep. So I always heard sucks you know, my dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well. The following track is Make No Mistake. Ray, what do you think of this? Oh, I guess it's just another dream that's slipping away. Every time I fall asleep, it seems I'm drifting away. Just as you have touched my heart. This is totally the stones slipping away that was released on, on uh, Steel Wheels. Steel Wheels. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems that Keith wasn't finished with this kind of song style. The resemblance is so strong, even with the shared vocals, until the breakdown with those descending runs. Uh, and then make no mistake that that's kind of cool. But the rest of it is just slipping away to me. And it's hard for me because I heard that way before I ever heard this. Right. So that association is just too strong. I'm kind of imprinted. So now, see, I did hear this before slipping away. So this is the one I kind of gravitate to. So we slow things down. We add some soul to the musical mix. Keith's vocals are way up front. And some of his idiosyncratic vocal stylings were funny to me when I first heard them. But upon repeated listenings, his earnestness kind of grew on me. You know, you can't even understand when he's he's talking, never mind when he's singing. I thought he was just breathing. (laughs) (laughs) The lyrics are about a forbidden affair that Keith and his lover have to keep hidden. And in the pre-chorus, Sarah Dash sings as the lover with soulful emotion. The musical backing adds Jimmy Kennard on understated bass and Bernie Worrell back again, but this time on clavinet, which provides a little funk in the soulful ballad. And the legendary Memphis horns from so many recordings on the Stacks label are on here too, making short punctuations and adding authenticity to the music. Make no mistake, baby. We have another winner for me. The next track is You Don't Move Me. Ray, how about this one? This one's got a nice opening riff with the electric and acoustic guitars and the bongo drums. It's pretty interesting. I heard it so many times, and it reminded me of a Stone song, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it until today when I was coming back from playing. One hit to the body. It's mm. the opening. And it's just it's a little bit of a variation on that same theme. Um, this yeah, song even the acoustic is, guitar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this song is a complete diss on Mick. <laughs> 
very much a 1990s gangster rap thing. <laughs> really just letting your dirty laundry out in a song. Uh, gritty guitar and those, those keyboard keys kind of sprinkled over ascending. I really like that. Now you want to roll the dice. You already crapped out twice. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that assessment of mixed solo albums. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, even though it's a great song, it goes on for about a minute too long. It, it should have been cut a little bit. Um, but when I heard this, my my gut reaction was, oh, that's it. They're done. And they're kind of going out in a kind of, you know, from such a great band to kind of like a, yeah, we're done. Like just <laughs> kind, of, kind of really anticlimactic, like, yeah, we're just out of here. So, you know, thank God that they had the, the, sense. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, it was some something they had they had put um who did they induct into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in in late 88 early 89 that that's what got them back together. They kind of they got in the same room and they weren't bickering over the press and it was Mick and Keith and they went, "You know what? Let's do this one more time, kind of like Abbey Road style." And they came up with Steel Wheels. And if you saw that tour or if you you see any kind of video from that, they were such a tight band. Yeah, it kind of rejuvenated were, them, didn't it? Oh, in a, in a big way. Like, yeah. Just, and, you know, and they, they came out, and it was 89, 90, and everybody thought, oh, my God, these guys are so old. Look at them. And you know, they came out, and they had the best tour of those two years. And I just remember Rolling Stone putting that on their cover, that this was the best tour. They're back. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is why, this is why we're legends. I just I don't know. I this was it's also kind of hard for me with this album because Dirty Work was was the last thing I heard from the Stones and that is you know congratulations the second worst Stones album ever <laughs> that I I can't even listen to. Only I mean, the second worst? <laughs> well, you know what? I can't even sit through Satanic Majesty. Oh, you shit me. No, I I I'm like no, they're just trying too hard. All right. They're, and I'm like Oh, it's just, it's not them. That's not what I like about the Stones. Yeah, I can understand you know, that. I, I didn't want them to be the Beatles. The Beatles are the Beatles. Yeah. They're good. <laughs> you know, we don't need a repeat. Right. So, but yeah, that's what I thought about this. Just right. Just like I said, a minute too long, mm, and that's it. So, I bet you love this one. Oh, yeah. Take that, <laughs> Mick. In the tradition of so many diss songs before and after, Keith takes aim at Mick Jagger and lets him have it. The jagged riff is passed back and forth between Keith and Waddy, and this track sounds like it could have been a Stones classic. It even has the Stones hand claps. Oh, that's right. There's accordion down in there played by Stanley Buckwheat Dural, and Bernie Worrell returns on Oregon. As always for me, Steve's drums are steady as she goes, and Charlie Drayton's bass line is low in the mix, but his playing has some cool movement to it. And as good as the music is, the song belongs to that voice, Keith Flaysmick, calling him greedy, seedy, and claims he drove his friends away. This was an unsettling time for the Glimmer Twins, and Keith stakes his claim to his side of the fence, summed up as the music drops out at the very end of the track and it's just acoustic guitar, while Keith sings, It's no longer funny, it's bigger than money, you don't move me anymore. You can hear the heartfelt emotion in those words, and it's totally affecting. I adore this track, and it was the second single that reached number 18 on the U.S. Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on How I Wish.
Okay, let's have it. Okay, so this song, I don't. I, it was just you know I got it off of iTunes, so it all just kind of flowed together. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I didn't look at the lyrics, and because I never heard this album before, I totally misheard these lyrics. Especially after the "You Don't Move Me Anymore," I hear uh, how I wish that you were you again, instead of how I wish that you were here again. Because the way Keith kind of he has a strange inflection on his voice. It's a, another signature Keith riff to start the song. Kind of reminds me of Street Fighting Man, like a variation on it, a little slowed down. It's got some awkward triplets in it again that just, I was like, God, it's killing me. <laughs> um, uh, it's got a great start and a nice flow to the song that once again doesn't go anywhere. So I could tell when I heard this song that this one was just going to fade out. And that was the only way it could end. And it just, it annoys me because it seems just half baked and i just wanted a little bit more somebody just needed the producer his co-writer needed to say look (laughs) we have to have a bridge you have to have a breakdown (laughs) and you have to have a conclusion to this song because it will never end (laughs) but that's what i think of this one but i like it yeah yeah just it's just that part of it annoys me well, this is a tough little Keith Richards riff rocker that features all the shit that I love. Guitar interplay, Ivan Neville's piano filling in the sonic gaps, Steve Jordan's doing his best Charlie Watts, nice backing vocals with Patty Scalfa clearly audible, and Keith braying as only he can. The lyrics are simple and direct. Keith misses his honey and wishes he was with her again. Once I used to think this was kind of the flip side to You Don't Move Me, that Keith really misses Mick and wishes they were partners again. I was kind of hoping mm-hmm. that's what it was at the time. There's a tight guitar solo by Wadi Wachtel that's aces, and I never get sick of the shit. I could groove to this kind of thing all day long. The following track is Rock a While. You like this one, Ray? I do like this one. It's All right. got a slow start, and I like how that riff builds and the song kind of grows organically. Bernie Worrell's clavinet is funky and really fitting. Apparently, Keith is just as much of a horn dog as any member of the Stones. <laughs> I really like the song with that driving groove powered by that bass line that is so comfortably in the pocket. Mm-hmm. The song has the kitchen sink in it, though, instrumentally speaking, because out of nowhere, there's an accordion. <laughs> and I'm like, is my dad playing on this? What's going on? <laughs> because everything was just kind of grooving. And then you're like, Wait, what the hell is that? What? So, but I do like the song. I, I just don't know why they just, it just seemed like everybody was like, hey, let's do this. You got some spoons? Let's go. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, a great song. Yeah. Well, this is an odd but cool track that's, It has like a mishmash of styles and instrumentation, such as Waddy's slide guitar, Joey's Spambinato back on bass, Bernie Worrell back on clavinet, like you said, it's a highlight, Buckwheat Doral lurking back there somewhere on accordion, and Sarah Dash belting out some off-the-cuff backing vocals that add soul to the track. 
Again, it falls to the rhythm section to direct traffic, and they do the job. You just follow those drums, and you won't lose yourself in the tangle of sounds. I dig the main rock a while vocals, and they also serve as a constant anchor for the song. This song has a slow, simmering groove. It's not quite a ballad, yet it isn't a rocker. It's kind of a slow burn that snakes under your skin and makes you move. Keith knows how to manipulate a slinky groove. More simple lyrics. Keith wants the girl to stay with him and not leave. He wants her company. No strings attached and no bullshit between them. More goodness, man. I'm into it. <laughs> he wants that slow, comfortable screw and not the drink. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the next track is Whip It Up. Ray, what do you say? Okay, I got a feeling inside. It's a certain kind. This song sounds like I, the Who's can't explain the way it starts. That's where my mind went when I heard the opening notes of this one. Um, but the song kind of morphs into a solid mid-tempo rocker after that. It's a little disjointed, and the song sprawls a bit. It's interesting, but it could be smoother. Once again, a, a producer getting in there saying, let's not do that. I like the horns. But the sax solo seems really thrown in at the last second. So that kind of annoyed me. And then by, by the time I got to this, this track, I have just kind of a ear fatigue from the way they're all going. That I'm just, I, once again, I'm like, wow, that could have been so much better. You know, that, that you really, once again, with all solo albums, I keep thinking, man, you really, you really need your partner on that one. You know, you really need Mick to come in there or you need bill wyman to come in and say let's do it like this even though he probably would have punched bill wyman in the face <laughs> so but you know he needed somebody to kind of bounce ideas off of that wouldn't be afraid to tell him no right so yeah this is another riff rocker in the style of how i wish it's a marvel how keith's internal clock must ooze rhythm no one should be able to play guitar like that and make anything cohesive from it and yet it's those amazing riffs that make him and the stones for that matter one of the all-time greats Keith's vocals are a little harder and tougher. This time it's a breakup song. If he ain't good enough for her, well, then maybe she ain't good enough for him. Eh. Charlie's bass plays an interesting rolling figure through most of the song. He's not just plunking notes until the outro where it fits nicely. And Bobby Key's sax appears again, maybe a little underutilized on this one, but he still makes his point. And uh, I hate this. I have no recourse. It is my least favorite riff rocker on this, but I love it. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, whip it up. But you're <laughs> Aaron's stinky stinker. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to do that. <laughs> the penultimate track is Locked Away. Locked away. 
Ray, your thoughts on this one? This one's got some outlaw country tinges in it of a song about a, a slut who he <laughs> thinks obviously needs some sort of chastity belt. He's so vexed that he feels he should be locked away as well. Um, and then it switches to some sort of insecure lover's story about not being worthy of the wife's their time. A twisted love song after you get past some of the lyrics. Once again, doesn't seem to go anywhere as a song. Atmospheric type. It just screams unfinished to me. Some, it's got some good good country picking at the coda and a nice little style. And once again, had to fade out. No bridge, no reprise, no conclusion. So it just I feel like a I feel like one of those bastard rock critics from Rolling Stone that would just crap over your favorite album. But <laughs> I just I don't mean to. I just it just annoys me because I mean it's Keith and I mean I know how much better it could be. I honestly just, think a big thing to this is the timing of when we both heard this for the first yeah. time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I you think have so too. All that time with the stones and this where i heard this at the time and took to it you know what i mean so i'm not like this doesn't it's, it, I, I was surprised that you hadn't heard this b- beforehand but um I'm, it, it doesn't shock me that we're on the opposite ends here uh, this is a ballad with dark overtones the vibe is downcast and countryish, and wadi's country acoustic guitar strums are paired with spare electric lines from keith the piano rolls gently along, and there's a cool, almost duet between Buckwheat's accordion and the violin, played by Michael Doucette, which gives the song a swampy, Cajun-flavored tinge, like it was born in a bayou of Louisiana. The La Duet chorus hook is a good one, and Keith's vocals sound haunted and resigned. Lyrically, it's about jealousy and the ugliness that that emotion stirs and how it leads to mistrust and paranoia. This is the longest track on the record of 5 minutes, 47 seconds, and a good chunk of that is just the music playing on, the violin and accordion saying their last piece, the last chorus is being sung, until the track just fades on the piano and guitar quietly noodling along to the groove. Ah, yeah. (laughs) And that leads us to the final track, It Means a Lot. Tell by our movements A flick of the hand You know where you stand What does it mean? It means a lot Uh Uh-huh Oh, yeah mean a lot to you ray no um <laughs> it doesn't it's got a mean riff for a song about re- a reading body language of a woman it's a great premise for a song it just doesn't grab me i'm just so fatigued at this point and uh i listen to it and listen to it again listen to it again and i swear it's devo doing the backup vocals oh no <laughs> Because it just kind of comes out of nowhere, and you're like, what, what, what? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know where he's coming from with this. It's just, <laughs> it just seems like there's just so many. I mean, I know that was his complaint about Goat's Head Soup, which is an album that I love, but he said there was too many people throwing ideas in, and it got away from the stone. So he doesn't like, Keith himself does not like that album so much, even though it's got some great songs on it. But it kind of seems like everybody was throwing in an idea and they were like, 
yeah, let's go with it. It's a brainstorming session. Let's do it. And no, there's no idea that's bad. There's a couple of bad ideas. <laughs> so, so it just doesn't, I just, I can't stand songs that don't go anywhere. It's just, it's like a movie soundtrack. You know, who buys the instrumental movie soundtracks that, you know, it's like help. Remember the original help that, that, that was out there for, for the U S release. It oh, was yeah. all that sitar stuff that yes. you were like, you'd put it on. You'd be like, what the, yes. what is this? <laughs> I don't want this, but that's how it doesn't mean that much to me. Right. Well, for me, it's more good, good Keith riffs. This doesn't slam in like how I wish or whip it up. It's flanked by the acoustic guitar and it's got a craggy angular sound. There are keyboard strings that kind of whoosh in and stop dead. The whole track has a nervous start and stop feel to it, except for those ever present, ever steady drums. Steve Jordan is the man. The It Means a Lot backing vocals are processed and panned quickly from left to right, giving an echoing sensation that's cool as shit. The album ends on a love song. Keith's looking for signs from the woman, a flick of the hand, a hug, the way she dances, if she blushes. These all seem simple and unimportant, but they all mean a lot. You can call it affection or call it love. Though he does make sure to stick in that little lie means a lot, too. It's not going to be that easy. Waddy plays a competent slide solo, and like the last track, the band rives a groove to the end of this one, with Keith riffing away on his Telecaster and letting himself go a little bit. This is the way this record needs to end, and I, for one, am all about it. Now that the track by track is finished, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which got stood up. Professor P, what are your final thoughts on Talk is Cheap? Okay, upon first listening to this album, I really disliked it. <laughs> and then after you said it's your favorite of the Stone solo releases, I thought I'd be wise to reassess. Mainly because I could still very clearly hear you calling Zimmer a dick on the Steely Dan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but this album is largely forgettable for me. I know Keith went out on his own, begrudgingly, no doubt. He gathered an impressive group of musicians, Steve Jordan, Wadi Wattel. Obviously, he found he could write and craft songs without the Stones. The album, although, seems like the first step in that process. Unsure steps at that. Um, quite a few songs feel unfinished, promising, but unfinished. To me, they got off to great starts, hit the pocket, and fizzled out with repetition. He carried a lot of these ideas with him into the Steel Wheels sessions and even into the Voodoo Lounge sessions. Listening to this made me miss the Stones even more. So um, I'm going low. I'm giving this a 2-5. I, I see the promise, but it, it just didn't realize it for me. All right. Keith Richards didn't want to make a solo album. He felt that if he did, it would be because the Rolling Stones broke up and he would be a failure for not keeping them together. The Stones were running on fumes by late 1986. Their album Dirty Work was not well received by the press or the fans, and Mick Jagger didn't want a tour behind it. He was more interested in his fledgling solo career. There was a perceived rift between Mick and Keith, certainly a falling out at least, and there were rumors swirling that the Stones were, in fact, kaput. So Keith grudgingly decided to toss his hat in the ring and make a solo album, putting together a crack band with no auditions, the core players being called the expensive winos, and cutting most of this album in 10 days in Quebec, Canada. His primary writing partner was drummer Steve Jordan, and they chose to start fresh, discarding any songs Keith had left over from the Stones. 
The process rejuvenated Keith's creativity, and the new songs came fast, though they also had a very familiar vibe to them. There were more sessions to complete the record with various guest stars, and when the album came out, it stood in stark contrast to the solo music Mick Jagger was making. Instead of favoring current pop trends, Keith brought out everything that makes him great, tapping his varied influences and underlining the fact that Keith had as much to do with all of those Stones hits as Mick. In a lot of ways, this record was the spark that led to the Stones reuniting shortly after. And for me, this is the best album by anyone in the band since Tattoo You, and my favorite record by any solo Stone ever. <laughs> it takes you on a journey through Keith's past and then present, serving up all of his influences, yet keeping the music fresh and all unmistakably Keith. There's not a dud in the bunch of these songs, in my opinion, and I give Talk is Cheap a four and a half. And honestly, there are days when I feel like this is a five, but today I give it the four and a half. Check back with me tomorrow. Well, it, the other thing I also think is their voice of reason was kind of out of touch on this one between Mick and Keith, and that would be Charlie. Charlie was really heavily into into heroin at this time. He he was a real big junkie. Right. And um, he was in his own battle. If you look at him, like what they look like when they were playing in 81, Charlie looks a little svelte and then you look at it by the time they get to uh dirty work charlie looks a little um like an auschwitz survivor right and he started coming back near the end of 88 and early 89 where he he kicked his habit they both blew up bill wyman ronnie didn't really count because you know he was still just a hired hand to them yeah, he still was even though the time. He, he you know he still he wasn't a full stone and he's just you know and i guess ronnie's always happy Right. So <laughs> he's one of those people. Yeah. That's just constantly happy and bouncing off the wall. And Mick and Keith were just not happy at this time. And I think that they just kind of, they kind of spun out. I mean, you could see it. And then you could see the other one that went off was uh, Stu passed away. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And uh, when, when Ian Stewart passed away, that was another one because he would just, I mean, he was bigger than them. He looked like this big rugby player and he probably popped both of them in the face and tell them <laughs> to shut up and grow up. And, they they kind of lost their anchor and they lost their way, kind of the same way that that the Beatles fractured after Brian Epstein passed. Right, sure. You know, and they just didn't have anybody to bring them back. But I think that's what caused a lot of this, and that's because I know that, and it just it's just a really bad time for the band. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and and a bad time for me in my own life, and it's all associated in the same thing that I just kind of. I just want to keep it in the past, <laughs> keep it in the past and not look back. Yeah, so, that's understandable. It's just one of them albums. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hey, I get it. I get it. Now I'd like to thank the professor Ray Permy for coming back and passing the knowledge to the listeners. Ray, you the man. Oh, thank you. Thank you for not calling me a dick. And thank you for <laughs> letting me be part of this, this little internet family we got going with, uh, Seamus, man, you're like a brother to me. And so is Sam. And Ray and Cordis, you're crazy, but, you know. <laughs> and uh, Curtis, too, is kind of cool. I reached out to him on Facebook, and, yeah. and uh, I really like him. He's he's a good guy. We've been chatting a little bit. Yeah, he's a good um, egg. It's Yeah, it's it's kind of cool how all these like-minded people are all over the country. Yep. So makes you not feel so alone. <laughs> Absolutely. I really appreciate that. For sure. 
And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. this right off this i took to this like a fish to water <laughs> don't call me a dick <laughs> i kept thinking i just want to tell him linda ronstadt <laughs> this was a hard listen for me wow that's, that's really shocking i love the shit out of this album it's kind of cool though that we're both not on the same page so all right cool I, i'm just shocked you've never heard this i'm shocked I just, I just stay away from it. I just, I'm not a big fan of the solo stuff. Well, uh, well, there's, a, there's a reason that I like the pairs together. And so I would have, I, I would have said to you, um, uh, Keith, all three of his studio solo albums are worth hearing. But now, now I won't say that <laughs> based on your response to this one. <laughs> so, but okay. I know it was released after, but the resemblance between them is so strong. I can't separate them, even with the shambles. Just I keep hearing slipping away. You're speaking spelling. You're speaking spelling. Until the break. Am I still there? Am I speaking spelling? Now you're back. Now you're back. Am I good? Yeah, gotcha now. Okay.